Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me another day, and I am really fired up right now. I've got a very important video that I need to make. This is one. It is so important that you watch. I am really getting tired of just some of the foolishness that I am hearing coming from Christians, New Testament Christians, the things that people are coming up with, the things that people are being deceived into absolutely blows my mind. It is becoming more and more believable every single day that professing Christians will, in fact, take the mark of the beast. There just seems to be no level to the deception that Christians will get sucked into. It seems like the scriptures does absolutely nothing in these people's lives, nothing to guide them away from certain areas where they have been bewitched. It's like nothing can break this spell. And I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be extreme. I'm not, I'm not trying to be harsh, but I just, I cannot believe I even have to talk about these things. But what I specifically, what we're going to talk about today is should Christians support the rebuilding of a temple. Now, if you listen to this program at all, you know the answer, all right? You know the answer, what I'm going to say to this. You know it's an obvious no. But folks, it's not obvious to a lot of people. A lot of people think that a lot of Christians are supportive of Israel rebuilding a temple, and it just it blows my mind just the lack of Bible knowledge it takes to support something like that. Just how what a blasphemous endeavor that would be to support the rebuilding of a temple, and yet Christians are doing it, actively supporting it. And I just, I, I don't understand it. And what kind of prompted me to make this video, uh, I've been watching uh, uh, several videos from a YouTube channel. Uh, these, they're called the Israel Guys. And the um, and they have some, you know, nice looking videos. They do uh, some creative videos right here is their web page. But I like watching some of their videos just because I'm interested in Israel. They've got a lot of nice videos about some of the different places. But then uh, I started watching these ones about the Temple Mount. And, you know, I was under the impression that these guys were. Uh, Christians, and it seems like they are. In fact, if you look at their website here, uh, you know, no more fake news connected to the true and authentic stories of Israel. They got to specify true and authentic. Uh, you know, stop scrolling through the negativity when it comes to Israel. And um, basically, it says working in Israel's biblical heartland for the past 20 years has given us firsthand insight into what actually takes place on Israel's front lines on a daily basis. Since mainstream media only spews lies and negativity regarding Israel, we realize that pro-Israel Christians need an accurate faith-based source when it comes to understanding the land and people that call this land home. Through podcasts, videos, and articles, we bring you the land, people, and stories straight from Israel's front lines each and every week. We want to become empowered as an ambassador for Israel. So, uh, you know, who are we? We are a nonprofit Christian organization based in Israel's heartland. We bring Christians from around the world to experience Israel for themselves. Our vision is to connect thousands of Christians around the world to God's heart for Israel. That's why we're committed to only giving you the best content straight from Israel's front lines without any ads or subscription feeds. So 
right there are the Israel guys. But I was watching these videos in the Temple Mount, and it was just like they were clearly carrying water for just foolish Jewish traditions. It was like they're denying reality. They're de they're just echoing with passion just Jewish talking points that are provably false, and they seem to do it with no shame. And like they actually believe it. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? And uh, you know, I understand Jews who have bought into a false religion, you know, buying into some of this stuff. But what are these supposed Christians doing? You know, how are they uh, coming to these conclusions? And let me tell you, I just have some I have some trust issues with these people. And so then, uh, an, a recommended video that came up was on one on should Christians support the rebuilding of the temple. And that seems like the most obvious no in the world. And But yet at the same time, sure enough, these guys believe Christians should support the rebuilding of the temple. So let's go ahead and watch uh, some clips from this video and listen to some of their reasoning. This, this will blow your mind. Today we're going to talk about the rebuilding of the third temple and why that should be important to Christians. The answer might just surprise you. Spoiler alert though, it's not only so that the Antichrist can come, defile the temple, the temple then be removed from the picture and we would all fly away to heaven to play our harps on the clouds. The reason why the temple is so much more important for Christianity is incredibly exciting. Okay, so apparently... This is something we should be excited about. And notice how he acknowledged 2 Thessalonians 2, because 2 Thessalonians 2 is clearly a prophetic scripture that we all of us in the futurist camp would use to prove that there is going to be another temple in the future. And so, um, you know, and it is true, a lot of Christians do have this attitude of, well, it's going to be rebuilt, but that's a good thing because that means we're going to be about out of here, about ready to get raptured out. But these guys are like, no, that's not a good enough reason to be for it. It actually, you know, because most Christians will agree that, you know, the rebuilding of the temple is in reality a bad thing because the Antichrist is going to commit the abomination of desolation in there, you know, and, uh, and so, but most Christians are like, but we're not even going to be here for that. So to them, it's just a sign that we're about to, ch to check out of here. Well, these guys, that's not good enough. Okay, No, they're actually going as far as saying, no, this is a good thing for Christians, the temple being rebuilt. So let's go ahead and, and watch a little more and see what they say. Christians who rewrote the story. For instance, we have a thing in the New Testament that's mentioned, the temple of God. Well, they actually in a theological way, turn that in to most people read that as the temple of the Antichrist. Well, guys, if you dig into the Bible, you will never, ever, ever see mentioned anywhere in the Christian Bible, temple of the Antichrist, where the temple of God is now the temple of the Antichrist, doesn't exist anywhere. This is completely revisionist theories that now have invaded Christian doctrine, and that is horrible and really Guys, this is just not factual. It doesn't exist in the Christian Bible. The temple of God has always been just the temple of God. Yeah. All right. So you see what he did right there? So again, and now listen, Christians are right when they call it the Antichrist temple. 
because I personally believe the Antichrist is probably going to be instrumental in getting it rebuilt. But they're going to 2 Thessalonians 2 and showing that, you know, it doesn't say Temple of Antichrist. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the Temple of Antichrist. It says Temple of God. Therefore, that is exactly what it is, the Temple of God. And then they go to another version of the Bible, which doesn't really help. But let's go and look at what it actually says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. It says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, let me ask you, is that does that make it the temple of God? Because he's also declaring himself to be God. You, un you understand what it's saying right there? That what's so bad about what he, this son of perdition is doing is he is pretending to be God sitting in the temple of God. That's what's so blasphemous about it. So first off, not only is the son of perdition not God, but the temple that he is going to sit in is not going to be the temple of God, but he will claim it is. On top of him claiming that he is God, he will be claiming to sit in the temple of God. And Christians are right to not recognize it as the temple of God, but the temple of Antichrist, just as they are right to not recognize the son of perdition as God. Do you all understand that? I think that's pretty clear right there. Hey, no, what's so bad about what he's doing is he's declaring himself to be God sitting in the temple of God. And not only is he not God, but that is not the temple of God. But to claim it is very blasphemous. If I was to declare this office, the temple of God, and this chair that I'm sitting in, the throne of God, and then I was to declare myself to be God, sitting in the temple of God, seated at the throne of God, that would be a very blasphemous thing to do because none of those things are true. Absolutely, it would, it would be it would be blasphemous for me to just claim I'm that even me, Tommy McMurtry, am sitting in the throne of God. This isn't God's throne, and for me to claim that would be a wicked thing. And so these guys have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, but they're about to say something that I'm actually going to agree with. Just the first statement. Check this out. Obviously, we're not theologians you know we're, we're not we don't claim to be um, experts on on Christian doctrine but I want to point out something really key in this verse and that is it says that the Antichrist the man of lawlessness right takes a seat in the temple of God so they're absolutely right they are not theologians and you hear the way he said you know Christian doctrine you know he almost he almost said it like that's something that they believe, you know, are these guys really Christians or they wouldn't possibly be Jews pretending. I don't know. I don't want to advance any conspiracy theories. I don't know these individuals, but just the way he spoke of, if you're a Christian, shouldn't you know Christian doctrine? Shouldn't you know what Christians teach? If you're going to be talking about that stuff, what's, what's going on? He's talking about it. Like I would talk about, Jewish doctrine 
or Islam doctrine or something like that. Like it's theirs. This is what this is what they teach, what they believe, you know. But if I'm talking about Christian doctrine, I'm talking about my doctrine, you know. I, and I'm not going to talk about it like it belongs to somebody else. So that is really weird. But again, he emphasizes how it's the temple of God. No, he as God sitteth in the temple of God. That's what he's doing. He as God sitteth in the temple of God. So both are fake. He's not God. He's not in the temple of God. So, you know, that's a fail. Okay. Christians are accurate when they refer to it as the temple of Antichrist because that's exactly what it will be. If you're still thinking, but the temple won't be important after Jesus comes back, you might want to think again because there's a couple passages of scripture that clearly talk about this temple being restored even in what we as Christians would understand to be the end times. Isaiah 56, 7 says, Even them I'll bring to my holy mountain, make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. You know, Jesus in the New Testament even echoed Isaiah when he went and flipped the money changers tables and drove them out of the temple. But when he said in Matthew 21, 13, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. Clearly, this prophecy of Isaiah and echoed by Jesus is something that has yet to be completely fulfilled because right behind the camera, the temple mount stands, but who can pray there? Not Jews, not Christians but only Muslim. It's clearly not a house of prayer for all nations to come up and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, now, boy, I'm telling you, this frustrates me so much. Now, let me explain something that if you listen to my teaching, if you listen to my preaching, if you listen to this program, you have heard teach. There is a subject you have definitely heard a lot of teaching on. You've heard me refer to many times. But this doctrine or this teaching, I guess, is almost absent from pretty much all Baptist churches, it seems like. Okay, now understand that this teaching that I'm about to refer to, on one hand, is one that, and, and, and forgive me, and I, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, that if one is not familiar with this teaching and doctrine, they can still be a very good, balanced, well-rounded Christian, okay? But at the same time, if you are not familiar with this teaching, you are going to be very likely to be led astray about certain passages, just as these guys are assuming that they are genuinely seeking after the truth. And here's the thing. We are supposed to study all of the Bible. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is profitable for uh, doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. All of it. We do need to study all of the Bible. And so when it comes to certain aspects of the, temp of the temple, of the old covenant, of the sacrifices, most Christians don't know a lot of details about that because of the fact in reality, they don't need to know that much because obviously Jesus Christ was the sacrifice for sin. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't wash away sins. It was the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin. We understand we don't need to go back to a temple. We understand that Jesus Christ is our high priest. We, we get all that stuff. And so most Christians just aren't real worried about it, and they don't put a lot of study 
into a lot of the practices of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. But understand that if you are not familiar with those passages, then people like this and dispensationalists are going to come along and they are going to they're going to go to passages like Isaiah 56 and say this was not completely fulfilled. Do you know how much Old Testament there was that was not completely fulfilled? You could say there was actually a lot. Now, here's why. Okay. Now, what the dispensationalists will tell you is because these things were not completely fulfilled. That means they're going to be fulfilled in the future because God's not done with Israel. That's what they tell you when you come to anything like that. That is dead wrong. That is completely false. That flies in the face of everything that the New Testament teaches. No, there is a reason that many things were not fulfilled in the Old Testament. And that is what you have to understand and what you need to study is what was Israel supposed to do to prepare for the coming of the Messiah? That is what is ignored in most churches today. People are ignoring the fact that much of Jeremiah, much of Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, these are passages that are giving instructions for Israel that when they rebuild their temple, what they were supposed to do to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. With those instructions came promises that if they will obey, all these wonderful things will happen. But have you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts? And do you remember what happened? They killed John the Baptist. They killed the Messiah. And then even after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, they rejected the preaching. They rejected the work of the Holy Spirit that he did. And they remained in unbelief. And as a result, they did not get the blessings. They got judgment. They got destruction. They were destroyed. That's what ended up happening. But for some reason, because of bad teaching on dispensationalism, people are thinking, no, these things are, these good things are still going to happen. No, these guys rightfully brought up how Jesus brought up two different times. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. But understand, it was that was not that was one of the things that the Messiah was supposed to find at his coming. And it wasn't there. That was that that's what people don't realize. No, this is one of the things the Messiah wanted to find at his coming. He wanted to find people from all nations, and it wasn't there. He went to Israel, and there was no fruit on that fig tree. And so you know what he did? He cursed the fig tree. But y'all are ignoring all that. You're ignoring all that scripture from the Old Testament. And so you think these things are still to come. No, because they had no fruit. You know what Jesus did? He took the kingdom from them and gave it to another nation. He lent out his vineyard to other husbandmen. That's what happened. And everyone is reading the Old Testament as if Israel obeyed. It's like... You have, to, you have have you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts? They rejected the Messiah. They disobeyed. Remember, just like there was all those promises in the Old Testament of wonderful things, if they obey, there were also promises of all kinds of curses if they disobey. And everybody ignores those. Nobody's looking for those things to happen. 
even though they disobeyed. So if God keeps his promises, they shouldn't get the good things. They should get the judgment and destruction. Oh, and by the way, they did get that. They did get that in 70 AD. But we're just going to ignore all that. And we're going to go to that passage in Isaiah 56 where Jesus, and that, that Jesus quoted when he was upset with them because they were not ready for him. And they're like, it's going to happen in the future. And therefore, we need to support the rebuilding of the temple because they're also forgetting that Jesus brought in a new and better covenant and we don't need a temple. Let's go ahead and watch the last part of this video, though, before I go into some scripture on this. We've explained briefly why we believe Christians should support Israel in rebuilding the temple on the Temple Mount. Now, I wanna go into one more area. Christians for far too long have persecuted and hurt and harmed, used and abused Jews in horrible ways throughout our history. And today, thank God, there's millions of Christians that are changing the tune. There's millions of Christians that believe in just unconditional support of Israel. As the nations, our job is to love and support and help build up this land and this people. With that, there's Genesis 12. It's just a concept that we, it's a, and it's such a grounding, such a foundation of our faith is that Abraham said, bless these people and you will be blessed. We're, we, we long to be, and there's millions of Christians that long to just be a part of the story. Wanna be a part of this story and be a blessing to the Jewish people. And in that blessing, we wanna stand with Israel in their efforts to bring God's presence back into this holy space in Jerusalem vitally important for us to unconditionally stand with the Jewish people in building and establishing the house of prayer again on the Temple Mount. So for some Okay, I, I watched this and I wonder, have these guys ever read the book of Hebrews? Have they ever read any of the New Testament? And, and if it wasn't for the fact that even Baptists preach nonsense like this, I would think, you know, I think these guys are secretly Jews just trying to get Christian support. I would think that, except there are a lot of Baptists, ones that I know that that advance the same kind of nonsense. Now, first off, okay, what is this Christians persecuting the Jews? Okay, you know, a couple more guilty white guys. You know, oh man, I can't believe all the things we've done to the Jews. Okay, first off, Catholics don't count. Okay, Catholics are not Christians. It's been mainly Catholics, and they've persecuted Baptists just as much, if not more. And yes, some Protestants too. Some of the uh, daughter, the harlot daughters of the mother of harlots, they also have persecuted Jews historically too. Baptists have not, I do not support the persecuting of Jews or any religion. We keep our hands off of them. We contend in a spiritual way with them. They are our enemies according to the gospel's sake but they are spiritual enemies and we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I have no desire whatsoever to hurt physically any Jew whatsoever. I have no, I have no desire for that. I will never attempt to, I will never support anyone's attempt to, especially in the name of Christianity. That is wrong. And there is nothing in the biblical, in the Bible that would support that type of thing. So, I don't need to, I, you, there's no one's going to make me feel guilty for what fake Christians have done to the Jews to get me supporting something wicked. And let me tell you, it's the Jews trying to rebuild a temple. 
It is a wicked, blasphemous spitting in the face of Jesus Christ that no Christian should ever, ever support. Absolutely, absolutely not. And again, so what about Isaiah 56, 7? When he said, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. First off, he was giving instructions. He was giving them instructions. He was telling them what he wanted from them as a nation. He told them this at a time when they were about to have judgment come on them. The judgment ended up getting spared during Judah's uh, during Isaiah's day because Judah repented. And God didn't bring it then, but God did bring it later during the time of Jeremiah. But God also promised that after the 70 years, he was going to restore them to the land. He was going, they would rebuild their temple and that he would even, the Messiah would come after the roughly 490 years. That's what Daniel's 70 uh, week prophecy is all about. God even gave them a timeline, but he also gave them things to do to prepare and to be ready. Nobody looks at that. Nobody talks about that. Nobody understands what those things are. And, be, and because of that, people are reading these passages. They're seeing all the things that didn't get done. And they're like, well, it's obviously got to happen in the future. No, they had their chance. They absolutely had their chance. And so when in Matthew 23, 37, shortly after Christ's triumphal entry, what did Jesus say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that killest the prophets. They weren't supposed to kill the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. They weren't supposed to do that. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not behold your house is left unto you desolate. That was a curse put on them by Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they were not ready for the coming of Christ. They were not ready for the Messiah. They had not done one thing that they were told to do. And he and he said, he didn't call it my father's house anymore. He's, he called it your house. And it's left unto you desolate. Chapter 24, Jesus prophesies the destruction of the temple. And sure enough, 40 years later, it happened. And so, and, and, and here's, Here's something else that's very important for people to understand. Whenever you, whenever I teach things like this and I say things like this, uh, I've had people accuse me of teaching open theism, which is uh, basically the, a, a teaching that God doesn't know how things are going to turn out. Turn out just kind of depends on what man does. God always here. Here's something that everybody needs to get a hold of. Number one, God always knew from the foundation of the world Christ was going to go to the cross. God always knew from the foundation of the world that the Jews were going to reject Jesus as the Messiah. God always knew that. God always knew from the foundation of the world that he would include the Gentiles in the covenants. And we see evidence of that throughout the Old Testament. We see many prophecies about that in the Old Testament. So, But it was because it was understood that Israel would disobey, we've got to understand, though, that for Israel to disobey, there has to be something to obey. If there is something for Israel to obey, and I know God always knew they weren't, but if there is something for Israel to obey, that means there's also going to be an outcome that will happen if they obey. 
that is also in the scripture. There are many examples in the scriptures, especially in Jeremiah, especially in Ezekiel, where the Bible is showing us what will happen for Israel if they obey. We see that in Malachi as well. We see an example of what will happen if they obey, but we also see what will happen if they don't obey. He's going to come and smite the world of the cur- earth with a curse. But mo- everybody sees those parts where it's showing what will happen if they obey, and they act like those are prophecies that will, in fact, come to pass. No, absolutely not. That is not the case. And so this isn't an open theism thing, okay? What we are seeing, God would send the prophets anyway to warn Israel to do what they're supposed to do. God sent Ezekiel to Israel, even though God knew Israel was not going to listen. But Israel is going to know that a prophet had been among them. When Jesus Christ came as the Messiah, Jesus did everything that God promised that the Messiah was going to do. But Israel did nothing that they were supposed to do. And there were things that they were supposed to do. And so, um, so you know, yes, there are some of those outcomes are not going to take place, at least through Israel, at least through the Jews. Now, I do believe many of those Old Testament things will end up finding fulfillment through Christ, through the, you know, those are part that are part of the new covenant. And so, but at the same time, it's important you understand those scriptures that those were, these are the results if you obey and everybody pays attention to those and they ignore the ones that are, it's like, these are the results if you disobey because we should, we should look into that a little more since we know Israel disobeyed and guess what? Those are the results that they got. And so John 4, 21. So this is, this is here. Let me just give you a few things to show why as Christians, we should never, ever, ever support the rebuilding of the temple. It will not be a good thing. God has not called us. God has not called us to go back to Jerusalem. He's not done. In fact, he's called us out of Jerusalem. These guys in this video are calling Christians back to Jerusalem. I've heard Baptists calling Christians back to Jerusalem, encouraging Christians to go to the Wailing Wall and pray there, and they're more likely to get their prayers answered. I've heard that from fundamental Baptist pastors. But what does it say in John 4, 21? Okay, because they're taking prophetic passages from the Old Testament of what's going to happen if Israel obeys, and they didn't, and they're ignoring what happened in the New Testament and what Jesus brought in with the new and better covenant. And in John 4, 21, Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman said, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We don't need a temple. We don't need priests. Baptists believe in the priesthood of the believer. We have one priest, one high priest. He's Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator between God and man. We don't need those things. We don't need a temple. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
our body is the temple and it's better than a, te- a, a new temple that's going to be built over in, in Jerusalem. And so let's let's go a little deep here too. Hey, God, God's done with the temple, folks. He rent the veil in twain for a reason, giving a clear sign that he was finished with that temple. But Haggai, Haggai 2 verse 3 says, Who is left among you who saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, this is right during the time of Ezra. Remember when they laid the foundation of the temple and the young men shouted and the old men wept. Why were they weeping? The new temple that they were building was very much inferior to the old temple. And the ancient men who had seen the old temple, they wept when they saw this. And so the prophet, God, is letting Israel know, hey, that's okay. Did you know God doesn't care that much about buildings? You know, it's not about the buildings. It never was, ladies and gentlemen. It was never about the temple. That temple was just a shadow. It was a figure of something so much better that was to come. And listen to what he said in in chapter uh, verse 7 of Haggai 2. And I will shake the nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Anybody want to guess who the desire of nations is? That's Jesus Christ. You got that absolutely right. Come desire of nations come. We all know, we'll sing that in Christmas. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So even though this was an inferior temple, God said the glory of this one's going to be greater. You know why? Because of who was going to come in to that temple. What It wasn't the building that was great. It wasn't the building that was special. It was who was going to go in it. And it was going to be the Lord that was going to suddenly come into his temple. That's what we see in Malachi. He talked about that in Malachi when he talked about the Lord suddenly. He, he was going to come into his temple. He was going to send his messenger. He was going to prepare the way of the Lord. And the Lord was going to come. uh, He shall suddenly come into his temple. But here's the thing. All those things that were prophesied didn't happen then because you know what? Again, there was no fruit in Israel. They weren't ready. They hadn't prepared. He didn't purify the sons of Levi. He didn't do anything. They hadn't done anything that they were instructed to do. And so as a result of that, Jesus ended up, though, still, he still, came through and did something so much greater. You know what he did? He offered up himself as a sacrifice for sins. But he didn't do it in the temple. In fact, he did it without the camp. In fact, let's let's read and so let's read Hebrews chapter 12. And you know what he did when he brought in that new and better covenant? He removed the old. That which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. It was said in Hebrews, Jesus removed that temple. He got rid of it. He had it destroyed. You know why? Because he was done with it. It says in Hebrews 12, 25, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. That was on Mount Sinai. But now he hath promised saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word yet once more signifieth the removing of those things 
that are shaken. What is that? The things of the old covenant, the things that were given on Mount Sinai, the things of the temple. Those are the things that are shaken. And it says in this word, yet once more signified the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made like the temple, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. That's talking about the things of the new covenant. Those things can't be shaken. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. That's the kingdom that we have, that we are a part of. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Understand that we don't need, we don't need the things of the temple anymore. We have received a cleansing and a sanctifying by the Holy Ghost. And you know what? We should still be reverent in our worship. We should still have an attitude of thankfulness, but aren't you glad that when you go to church, you don't have to worry about dropping dead if you do something a little bit wrong? It's really about the heart is what it is because God removed those things of the temple and he replaced them with the things that cannot be shaken, the things of the new covenant. And in Hebrews 13, 10, he said, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Hey, if you're still stuck on that temple, you have no right to, you have no right to the altar that we are a part of. What is that? Oh, what is that? For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. What would they do with those old sacrifices, the scapegoat? They would go and they would take, they would take those things out of the temple or from the altar that was uh, to the east of the entrance to the temple, and they would cross a bridge, they would go out the gate, outside the camp, out into the Mount of Olives, where they would offer up those sacrifices without the camp, which by the way, is exactly where Jesus went to be, to die on the cross, to be the sacrifice for sin. And so what does he say? Wherefore also, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. What does that mean without the gate? Referring to the gate of the temple of the house of the Lord. That is where our alt altar is. It's the cross. That's where it is, which is outside the gate, which is outside the temple. What did he say in verse 13? Let us go for there, forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. He's saying this to Hebrews. Hey, you're going to be reproached by the other Jews if you follow after Christ. But you know what? Those sacrifices of the temple, the things of the temple, they can't take away sin. They can't cleanse you. The, you need to accept the better things that come from Jesus Christ. And you know what? Let's follow him without the camp. You know what he's telling them? Leave the temple. Leave it behind. We don't need it. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We're looking for the heavenly Jerusalem. We don't have a Jerusalem. We don't need Jerusalem. And any Christian who is calling other Christians back to Jerusalem is a Judaizer. And they are, they are leading them astray. We don't need these things. The Jews don't need a temple. Christians don't need a temple. Our body is the temple. You know what Jews need? They need to believe on Christ so they can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and their body will be the temple of God. That's what they need. But these guys are talking about this unconditional support, which basically means give them whatever they want. They are in rebellion. 
They are in rebellion. And Jesus told them that they were going to be shut out of the kingdom where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what are they doing today? In their rebellion, they go to the Wailing Wall, the closest that they th to where they believe Solomon's temple was. And what are they doing? They're praying at the wall, wailing, crying, wanting to get back in to the things of the temple. They've been, they've been shut out of there. Symbolic of how they're shut out of that new covenant. You know what they need to do? They need to turn away. They need to turn away from that wailing wall. They need to get out of that city of Jerusalem and they need to find Jesus Christ. They need to believe on him who actually can take away sins. And folks, Christians, this is this is bad. This is becoming more and more common. Christians calling people back to Jerusalem, calling people back to the, the things of the old covenant, the things that are done, the things that were shaken, the things that were taken away. We have something so much better and, let me, and Christians have been fine without this stuff forever because they understood Jesus Christ takes care of all those things. But let me tell you, our lack of study on these subjects has opened it up for people to come in and to teach that some of these things are going to come back and that we should even be supportive of it. We absolutely should not ever support the rebuilding of a temple. It, will, it, it is an antichrist thing. It will be the temple of antichrist. God is done with the temple. God has replaced them with some things that will never be shaken, that will never go away. He's never going back to a temple. Even in Revelation 21, talking about the new heaven and earth, it says, and I saw no temple therein. Because right? God doesn't need that anymore. Jesus Christ is the temple. Jesus Christ is everything. Everything we need, we can find in Jesus Christ. Everything you need spiritually, you can find in Jesus Christ without a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You don't have to have those things. You don't even have to go to church to worship him. You sh going to church is good. You should, but we can pray anywhere, anytime. You know why? And we can do it without going and washing our hands, doing a bunch of ceremonial things because we've been cleansed. We've been anointed. We've been indwelt with the Holy Ghost of God. And he gives us a cleansing and an empowering. So at any point, even us, us as Christians, we can go and we can take the word of God and we can minister to people. We can preach the gospel to them. We can lead them to Jesus Christ and salvation and they can be saved through our work that we're doing with them right there. We can, through, through our giving of the gospel, they can be saved by the work of Jesus Christ. God uses us for that. God uses preachers. And it's like, how can he use us? He sanctified us. He cleansed us with his blood. And that sanctification, that cleansing, we didn't get it from anything, from any temple. We didn't get it from any ritual that we do, anything that man does for us. We got all of it from the cleansing and the sanctifying done by Jesus Christ. That is what enables us to be priests and kings. That's what enables us to be soul winners. That's what enables us to be able to worship God anywhere. Folks, the new covenant is so much better than the old covenant. And the fact that even Christians are pushing to go back to old covenant things is blasphemous and a shame and I think a lot of it is based, I think a lot of it's based on just rank ignorance. You've got to get over this. Open up your Bible for crying out loud and leave it and read it without your dispensational lenses on. Look at what God actually says about these things. And so 
What a shame that Christians are supporting the rebuilding of a temple. You want to talk about something you ought to apologize to Jews for? You ought to apologize to Jews for that, for leading them astray, for supporting them in their rebellion. That is not blessing the Jews. That's not following Genesis chapter 12. What a, what a shameful, what a shameful thing. You, are, you know, the apostle Paul, he, there, without a doubt, he loved the Jews more than any of us. But you know what? The Jews didn't like him. You know why? Because he told them the truth. You know who you want to know who loved the Jews more than the Apostle Paul? Jesus Christ. And what did they do to him? They had him put to death too. And but yet Christians today, I'll bet I'll bet the Jews love the Israel guys. I'll bet they do. It's amazing how many Christians are bragging about all the love that they get from the Jews while they're supporting them in their rebellion. You know what? Let's see what happens when you start telling them the truth. They'll turn on you so fast it's not even funny. It's time for you to follow Christ without the camp bearing his reproach. And that reproach isn't going to come from other Christians. It's going to come from those who have rejected the new covenant and have rejected the Messiah. And you know what? I'm calling on Christians, Baptists especially, dispensationalists, repent of your false doctrine, repent of your false ways, repent of your support of Antichrist and your support and their rebellion. You should be ashamed of yourself. So we went a little long in this episode today, but I feel like it, these things needed to be said, and I hope it was a help and a blessing. And be back next week. Hopefully I'll be a little calmer. I'm, I'm expecting to have uh, some uh, interesting guests on next week, so you're not going to miss that. But thank you all for watching this, and by all means, do not support the rebuilding of the temple. God bless you. We'll see you all next time.